The Voices of the Game segment on Scoops with Danny Mac, presented by Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert. It might be my favorite of all the segments to do. I always wanted to do play-by-play ever since I could just about walk. Very intrigued with those that do the art and the craft of play-by-play and broadcasting. Marty Brenneman has been the voice of the Red since 1974. In 2000, he won the Ford C. Frick Award presented by the National Baseball Hall of Fame to a broadcaster for major contributions to the game. He's also a member of the National Radio Hall of Fame. It's not just baseball, though. Marty has done numerous other sporting events, including being for many years the top voice in college basketball. In many ways, he has spent his life behind the mic, calling some of the best moments in sports history. Included in that, let's take a trip down memory lane. Pete Rose's 44 consecutive games are the hit. Tom Browning's perfect game. He is ready for the 2-2 to Woodson, and here it comes. And it is swung out and missed. And Tom Browning has pitched a perfect game. 27 outs in a row, and he is being mobbed by his teammates just to the third base side of the mound. A perfect game thrown by Tom Browning on this Friday night, September the 16th, 1988. Tom Seaver's no-hitter. Seaver with a pause, the check and the pitch. He bounces to first base. Friesen has it. He goes to the bag and Seaver's got it. Tom Seaver has pitched his first major league no-hitter. And this one belongs to the Reds. Seaver is being mobbed at first base as George Hendrick bounces a routine two-hopper to Danny Dreesen and the 38,216 at Riverfront Stadium are standing. The exploits of Deion Sanders. Larkin running, pitch a swung on, hit the deep right field, down the line, home run. Deion Sanders, a three-run home run to right. Unbelievable. Have you ever wondered what it was like from the Reds' perspective? The fight between Yadier Molina and Brandon Phillips? Well, here you go. Down a run, the Reds come calling on Jaime Garcia here in the bottom of the first, and here's a man who stirred up a firestorm with his comments prior to game number one last night. Brandon Phillips, he said, I'd play against these guys with one leg. I hate the Cardinals. All they do is blank and moan about everything, all of them. They're little, that's a term for female, and here we go, and now down at home plate, Brandon Phillips getting into it with Yadier Molina before a pitch has even been thrown, and both dugouts have emptied, and both bullpens are going to empty. Boy, that didn't take very long. The Cardinals taken to heart the comments made by Brandon Phillips before the game last night. 
And apparently getting into words with Gautier Molina. Scott Rowland has Molina right now trying to take him out of the action. And both teams are in a big bunch down behind home plate. Uh, you had to know it was coming. And that started right away, and Dusty and LaRusse are going at it. They really are. They are verbally jousting back and forth in the middle of that pile. And Dusty's really upset having to be restrained by one of the umpires and pushing him out of the scrum. And now it looks like Scott Rowland. Somebody, here we go. Here we go. Now they're all the way back to the screen, and they are getting after it now. They're, they're packed in tightly. There are some punches being thrown. That was Roland and Carpenter, Carpenter, and they are going at it. They really are. Chris Carpenter and Scott Roland were the two combatants. And down they go. This is really unbelievable. You better not mess with Roland. He'll snap that right arm right off of him. Well, the unfortunate thing about this situation is there are going to be people ejected from this ball game. That's the voice of Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman. And many thanks to the Reds Radio Network and David Armbruster for those highlights. You get the point. Marty is one of the best. I'm Ryan Kelly with TheHomeLoanExpert.com. If you're even considering buying a home this year, get pre-approved today at TheHomeLoanExpert.com. Don't be the only offer on the table without a pre-approval letter from TheHomeLoanExpert.com. The Home Loan Expert, LLC. Marty Brenneman has been the play-by-play voice of the Cincinnati Reds since 1974. And we have a lot of young people that want to know about how to get in the business or what it's like to be a play-by-play guy. I want to start with this. Why did you get into broadcasting? And number two, when did you know that you wanted to do this? Uh, I, to be honest with you, Dan, I, I think um, it was a subconscious thing. I, I, was, I was born and raised in Virginia, and, and when I was a kid back in the 50s, I, I came up across a guy one night doing the Brooklyn Dodgers game by the name of Nat Albright. Um, I was not a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, but I was taken by the way he he did he handled his craft and the way he presented the broadcast and and I listen I got to the point where I would listen to him almost without fail, and I came to find out sometime after the fact that he was recreating Brooklyn Dodger ball games. He, with the blessing of the O'Malley family. Uh, he broadcast out of a studio in Arlington, Virginia, and most of the stations that carried his game were Southern stations. Uh, Walter O'Malley felt if we had someone else mm-hmm. uh, and pumping Dodger games into the southeast, that maybe that would create some interest and bring them north, or they would become longtime Brooklyn Dodger fans. And I think at that time uh, there was a subconscious seed p- planted that maybe this is what I wanted to do for a living, and I used to listen to a lot of pirate games uh, over KDKA when I was living in Virginia and became uh, uh, big fans of Bob Prince and Jim Woods. Sure. Their game, listen to the old Washington Senators games and the Baltimore Orioles with Chuck Thompson uh, way back in the 50s. So I, I think when I consciously decided that I wanted to get into the broadcast business, this is what I wanted to do. Not necessarily baseball, but I wanted to be a play-by-play guy. I, I was not interested in sitting in a studio with a coat and tie on doing 6 and 11 o'clock <laughs> news every night. For I five. get it. You know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. I wanted to be a play-by-play guy, and um, so I pursued it, and uh, I feel like I kind of made the right vocation decision. Well, I would say so. And, and you, you know, so many people relate to you as the voice of the Reds, and 
you have to go back and look at your career and all the great moments you've called with NCAA basketball. Do you enjoy college basketball more or football or Major League Baseball? What is it? I tell you, I, it, it, I love college basketball. I, you know, I did, I don't know, 15 regional finals, and I did 10 or 11 final fours. Um, I, I love college basketball. And I've told people uh, every year when the NCAA tournament comes up, and I tell people, uh, with all due respect to the World Series and the Super Bowl and all yeah. the rest of it, there's nothing like that. There's nothing. There is nothing like walking into an arena uh, or a dome stadium with 60,000 people in there, and you've got four teams in the national semi. I think the national semifinals is the single best day every year, every calendar year in sports. Really? They play the two national semifinals. Because I think the championship game is anticlimactic. Um, I, and, and I was a part of that. And – and I, the hair used to stand up on the back of my neck when I walk. And you've got four pep bands, and you've got people going crazy. Uh, the pressure is so thick you can cut it with a knife. Um, I, I truly loved it, but I reached a point where, uh, and I guess it was age more than anything, I, I just was not interested in getting on and off airplanes 12 months a year. Yeah. I spent a lot of nights on the floor in Atlanta in the Hartsfield International Airport when I was working in the ACC and, and the Southeastern Conference doing television. Uh, because I couldn't get home because of the weather. Right. And I said, to heck with this. Uh, but I, I, I would say if I had to choose, I would choose what we do for a living. Um, I often felt, and uh, as a kid, listening and then going to school and then getting into the business at a small radio station, that the most prestigious job you can have in our profession is doing baseball on a, in a play-by-play mode. I, I don't, I, with all due respect to the other sports, but you can go back – and, and most of the great baseball announcers uh, eventually ascended to network. Uh, you, you can talk about Kurt Gowdy. You can talk about Jack Buck. You can, you can go down the line. Dick Enberg, Vin Scully, all these guys uh, did local baseball when right. they ascended to a network position. Um, not so much today, but we're in a different world today. But I think of all the jobs broadcasting NFL football or NBA basketball or anything like that, this is a job that carries with it the most prestige. Do you like radio or TV more? Oh, I love radio. Why? Well, there are a lot of number of reasons why I don't have to wear a coat and tie. <laughs> that might be number one. Yes. You know, I did, I did 13 or 14 years of television here along with radio, and I, I never really could get into television. I, I think if there's a pure art form, in play-by-play sports, I think it's broadcasting baseball on the radio. There's no doubt. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you, I, like I said, you, um, I like in doing basketball, and I'm sure it's the same true doing ice hockey, which I've never done, but it's like a wind-up toy. You turn it on at 7 o'clock or 7.30 when the, buck, the ball goes up in the air or they drop the puck, and that baby runs nonstop until yep. the game's over. If you don't know how to ad-lib, doing baseball on the radio and ad-lib intelligently – you can't do this sport. And it's amazing the number of people, and I'm sure you've had to deal with them too, that think we have the easiest oh, job yeah. there is in the world. I've told high school coaches, I said, I'll tell you what, I'd like for you to come up and I can make it happen. <laughs> you come up to my booth and I'm going to let you call three outs. And it may be six pitches. Right. Or it may be 35 pitches. But I want you to call three outs. And then when you finish and you're – ringing wet with perspiration <laughs> i want you to tell me how easy this is what is it like working with your son well you know i don't really work with him anymore um i, I did a, quite a bit in the past when tom was crossing over but 
Um, he's strictly radio now. Right. I mean, television. He does, he's a, doesn't do any radio at all. And the only time I got a chance the last few years to work with him was in spring training. He'd do three or four games on the radio with me. It was always a kick because we were always digging at each other. And it's, it's uh, you know, it, he was born when I was so young. Uh, my first two kids uh, were born before I graduated from the University of North Carolina. Chapel. And you're running all over the place. Yeah, and, and, but, but because I was 20 years old when Tom was born, and I was 21 when my daughter Dawn was born, uh, we're, we're not that far away, you know, right. 20 years. Um, and so it's more like two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother, and I think you know that from being around us. Oh, yeah. Uh, things are said and things are done <laughs> that are not in a normal relationship. Um, and so it's, it's, the greatest thing is having him here and having my grandkids here mm-hmm. and, and being 15 minutes away from seeing my grandkids and seeing them play you know, basketball or lacrosse or run cross country or whatever it is. Um, and and uh, that's the biggest single thing is to have him back in Cincinnati. As you can imagine, folks that are listening to this are curious about Jack Buck and your relationship with Jack. How helpful was he? And when you think of Jack, what comes to mind? Well, I, I tell you, I, I, I could sit here all day. I You know, I, I went in uh, to the broadcaster's wing in 2000, and at the time, I was the second youngest to go in. Ben Scully was the youngest. I was the second. Young. And, I, and, and I can tell you straight up, had it not been for Jack Buck and Ernie Harwell and, and Ben Scully, and, because it was a different process then. It's not the same now. It's harder today than it was then. Uh, had it not been for those three people, um, recommending me very highly, unbeknownst to me, I had no idea. And I found out after the fact. Uh, I probably would not have gotten in in 2000. Um, he was always very good to me. Um, he always had time for me. Uh, you know, just like when I first came, I held guys like him and Scully and, and, and Bob Prince and, and Ernie Harwell and people like that in awe. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, these are guys that were the pillars of our business. They were the giants of, of the broadcast industry in baseball. And he was great with me. I, uh, he and I got along famously well. Uh, because being incredibly uh, much younger than obviously I am now, been around for 44 years, when they talked, I kept quiet and listened. And I think anybody who tries to assert themselves at a young age in this profession, when guys like that are around, are really not very bright because they can help you. They can tell you things that you need to know that will stand you in good stead once you get the foot in the door and will carry forward over these many years. Uh, Bob Prince was... Uh, he he sat me down. He gave me do's and don'ts when I came about you know you can't give the score too much and 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 a whole lot of other things and and Jack and Ben and and Ernie Harwell were the same ways. I, why they like me, I don't know. I, I I'm still trying to figure that out. But they did. And 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 uh, and as I said, uh, and and when I was called by Dale Petrosky, who at the time was uh, president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, I'll never forget Johnny Bench called me on the phone. He said, this is before social media. This is before cell phones. And Bench said, get a legal pad out and write down the name of everybody who you hear from because they're the people who give a damn about you. He said, the people you don't hear from either are jealous of what you've accomplished or they don't like you for whatever the reason. And so I did that, and I wrote down the names. That's great advice. Just tremendous advice. Even, yeah. if you, even if you have a cell phone, it's a great piece of advice. Jack Buck was one of the first people within the 24 hours 
that I, when, when the announcement was made, he was one of the first people to call me. And the thing he said to me was, he said, you know, hey, Jack was, the way he talked, he said, young man, he said, your life will never be the same again. And I said, well, why do you say that? He said, because every time your name is written, uh, and it could be a century and a half from now, as long as there are descendants of Marty Brenneman, if it's written, it'll have Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman. He said, your, your, your life will never be the same again. And he was right. Um, you know, I, I, I was a big fan of Jack Buck. I was a huge fan. What did you take away? You, you, I was going to ask you about all these different guys and, and nice. picking away. You know, you, there's so many of these guys. And there's a constant. Yes. What you is ain't it? Lied. Incredible humility. Uh, the guys I named, none of them had incredible egos. Or if they did, they were able to keep it to a minimum so as not to offend people. Vin was like, is like that. Jack was like that. Ernie Harwell. Uh, all those guys, uh, it, I mean, they had every right in the world to be egomaniacs. They were the best of the best. You'd never know it. Mm -hmm. not, not from my perspective, they didn't. And I can get turned off right now by somebody that's got an ego that fills up a room. Right. Because I don't think any of us are more important in the game. Um, there are guys in our profession who think they are. Um, and that's too bad because they have never figured it out. But um, that's the one constant. That's a great question because I, I can go right down the line. The great ones are the guys that, that uh, it's almost like a multimillionaire who walks around dressed up like a homeless person. They ain't trying to impress anybody. Right. And I don't think any of those guys ever tried to impress anybody. They were and are who they are. And, and uh, you know, God bless the soul of Jack and Ernie Harwell and all the great guys that have passed uh, from our world, but but that's the thing that most impressed me about all those guys. I'm Ryan Kelly with thehomeloanexpert.com. If you're even considering buying a home this year, get pre-approved today at thehomeloanexpert.com. Don't be the only offer on the table without a pre-approval letter from thehomeloanexpert.com. The Home Loan Expert LLC. What are you most proud of in your career? And we mentioned the Hall of Fame, the National Radio Hall of Fame. You're in multiple halls of fame. But what are you most proud of when you look back at your career? <laughs> Well, I'm most proud of. Yeah, quit smoking at, at 1990. Good for you. <laughs> How'd you do it? I, it's a really funny story. I, nobody smoked like I did. I mean, I know Jack could kill. I was going to say I, Jack. I, I, it would. It might have been a photo finish. <laughs> and you know, when Joe Knoxall was alive, God rest his soul, he and I were together for 31 years, and we did a double header. I promise you, we could knock off four packs of cigarettes. I was going like to say a two packers. <laughs> and I, uh, I developed a, I developed a. a polyp on my vocal cords and so I went to an eye or nose and throat guy in Cincinnati and he said well you got to take them off he said it's nothing serious he said but you've got them on both sides and he said we can't strip them the medical term they used at this, both of them at the same time you got to have one done one month and 30 days later you get the other done he said it's not a big deal so I did that and he said now let me give you a piece of advice I would recommend you quit smoking because let me tell you what's going to happen if you don't. If you don't, you're going to develop lung cancer and die. You are going to develop cancer in your voice box, and we'll have to remove that, and you'll be healthy as a horse, but you'll never work again. Or the remote possibility is you dodge a bullet and nev never have a problem, or you can simplify matters by quitting. And he threw a business card across the table at me, and he said, now, 
before you look at that, I don't endorse that, but you might think about it. It was to a hypnotist. And I went to a woman. She charged me $180 for three appointments. And you went today, and you went tomorrow, and you went a week from tomorrow. She taped your first session. She put you under. And so I never forget it. I sat out in front of her office and smoked a cigarette in my car at 1225 <laughs> in an afternoon. And I went in, and she put me under. And, and they, they give you the – back then it was a cassette tape. They give it to you for reinforcement if you need to listen to it before you come back the next day. I went back the next day. And I said, I don't need to be here. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, I have not had a desire for a cigarette. Uh, she said, you listened to the tape? I said, I had not listened to one second of that tape. And I went through the second appointment, and I never went back to the third, and I never desired a cigarette for the rest of my life. And you still haven't? And I still haven't. That's and amazing. It was Well, I'm convinced that um, I, I'd be walking around. I'd be out of this business, and I'd be walking around with a, with a canister of oxygen on my hip. Yeah. Um, I have pulmonary disease because of the smoking that it's it's i can live with it's not a big deal but i have an inhaler that i use twice a day but i that there's nothing that i've accomplished in my business that's more important to me than that because had i not done that as i said you and i would not be friends you and i would not be sitting across from each other doing this this uh this podcast right now it wouldn't happen and so i i can't think of anything that i'm more proud of than that i didn't expect that answer i know i didn't think you would is that what you normally say when people ask you that, too? Mm-hmm. I sure do. It's incredible. I'll tell you an interesting story. Um, we have a feature on the air called, and we use it. It's a lighthearted thing. This is why this caught people's attention. We have a lighthearted feature every night called Ask Marty. And Jeff Brantley, I can imagine. <laughs> and it, it's, it can be about anything. <laughs> right. It can be about entertainment. It can be about books because I read a lot. It can be about Broadway shows because I'm a big fan. It can be about baseball. And the question, this was two years ago. If you have one fear in your life, what is it? I said, the biggest fear I have in my life is dropping dead in a hotel room by myself. And it, it offended some people. Some people got upset. And I said, I'm out here. I said, that was not a lighthearted question. That was a serious question. And I answered it in as true a manner as I could answer it because – I remember when Richie Ashburn dropped dead yep. in a hotel room in New York, when Don Drysdale died by himself in a hotel in Montreal, uh, when Harry Callis dropped dead in, in, a, TV, in a TV booth in, in Washington. Washington. Yep. I talked to him two days before he died. Um, and so I'm fortunate now. I'm married to a younger woman. She travels with me almost all the time. And that, that was a major – I just cannot imagine – uh, it, it, it scares me to think about dying in a hotel room with a heart attack or a stroke or whatever the case might be, and you die by yourself. I'm, I'm, I, that, and that, and that, that, that's, uh, you know, people ask me a serious question, I give them a serious answer. Well, you're also honest, and that's how you do the games. I try. Yeah. And, and people can call it critical, they can call it honesty, whatever. But you call the game the way that you see it, and you interject personality into it as well, which a lot of guys, young guys especially, you can't do that. Could you get away with it when you first started the way that you do now? Um, no. Okay. I worked when I came here. Bob Halson was the president, general manager. Dick Wagner was his assistant, um, and they had a way. Or I say they. Dick did. Dick had a way that he wanted me to do the game, 
And it was nothing short of being a cheerleader without referring to the Reds as we and the other team as us, which I did early. And then I, uh, one, of my, the most, one of the most defining moments in my career, we had a pitcher back then named Jack Billingham, who he and his wife are dear friends of my wife and I now. We, we see him as much as we can, and, and I, I, there's no bigger fan on earth as a person than I am for Jack Billingham. And they had just beaten the Atlanta Braves the night before. This is 1975 or 76. And they beat them like 25 to 7. It was one of those games like you guys played in Cincinnati when uh, Brian Price had to run Clint oh, Pennington yeah. out there in the ninth inning. And so I made the comment to Jack the next day. I said, boy, that was a great game we played last night. He said, we? He said, how many hits did you get? How many people did you get out? That was the last time. Never did it again. And my style evolved. Uh, it, it was a work in progress. It did not sit well with Dick Wagner. He and I went nose to nose all the time. And uh, I asked to be out, let out of my contract at one point. Uh, he wouldn't do it. And when he told me that, I said, this was in the early 80s. I said, well, if you're not letting me out of my contract, then you're going to have to sit back and you're going to have to listen to me broadcast the games the way I want to broadcast them. And so my contract came up. Uh, I was in the last year of a deal, and I wanted things to calm down a little bit, and I wanted to renew because I didn't want to go anywhere else. And uh, he said, I don't re negotiate contracts during the season. I said, yes, you do. I said, I'll name you the players. Who's kind of, he said, well, let me put it to you this way. <laughs> I'm not negotiating yours. And I said, well, that's fine. I said, but um, if I'm not signed to a contract by the 15th of August, I'm going to call a news conference and tell them why. And he was fired on July the 11th. Wow. And I, I, I probably would not be here. The, the long-winded point of the matter is I work for people and have for a lot of years now that probably cringe over some things I might say on the radio, um, but they let me do my job. Uh, the Castellini ownership is the best ownership I've been involved with, and if I didn't think that, I would not say it. I'm not sucking up to anybody. I, I truly believe that. Um, they've been wonderful to me and my family. Uh, Bob was the reason why Tom is back here now when I didn't think he had a chance of getting him out of Arizona, and he did. Um, but there's a line that I don't cross, and I've had people say, well, define the line. I can't define it. I just think, uh, and you, you know where it is. Uh, any guy who's been around for a while intuitively knows where that line is without crossing it. And to define it, you can't do it. But I know where that line is. Um, you know, the players are not big fans of mine, and I understand that. Um, uh, but I feel like if I'm going to praise you when you're playing well, then I reserve the right to be critical when you're not. It's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. And if I ever write a book, which I probably won't, but if I ever did, I would have a chapter of the top ten favorite players of all time, and they were guys who understood that I never – there was never a personal vendetta with me because I didn't like a particular player. And we're all no different in that regard. There are players that we don't like and we would never see again if we had a choice. But I, you can't allow that to enter into your broadcast. You've got to be as objective as you can. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I, I, as I say, I, they, 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 they allow me to do my job and um, – and, and, for that reason, I've been very, very fortunate. Uh, I know guys in our business that have to measure every word that come out of, comes out of their mouth for fear of reprisal from upstairs. And thank God, I, I don't, I don't have that problem. You led me into my uh, some of my final questions here, but uh, I was going to ask you your favorite players. 
Who did you like to call good, bad, and different? But when they were here, you liked being around that person or at least watching them play the game of baseball. Well, I mean, my, my two best friends in this game uh, are Pete Rose and, and uh, Joe Morgan. They, they're the two guys that I, I was close to when they played. Uh, we maintained a wonderful relationship, uh, especially with Pete, with all of the ups and downs, most of which he brought on himself. Um, I, I truly have a, a great love for both of those guys. In fact, it's such – and I think when you get older, you get a little bit more, uh, for want of a better term, mushy. But there's rarely a time when we both – when we talk to each other, the last thing we say to each other is, I love you. And I've, I, I mean it that way. Um, but we have guys that, that you know, I, I throw a name out there. Danny Graves, who was a relief pitcher mm-hmm. for us. Tremendous respect for him. Uh, see him today, and, 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 and he's going to do some games with me on, on the radio this season here in Cincinnati. Um, should be in the Reds Hall of Fame, and I'm sure he will be one day. Um, there are a lot of guys. I, Sean Casey and I had a great relationship. Um, one of the great ones, and that's a great story, in 1999, uh, we had, they, they had a great team here. I mean, there was nothing they didn't have. And maybe the pitching could have been better, but offensively they were a powerhouse. And it was led by a guy by the name of Greg Vaughn. Oh, yeah. He had 16 Wound up being in St. Louis, too, for a little correct. brief time. Yep. He had 16 home runs in the month of September and carried this team. I remember. And he was a kind of intimidating guy who, if you didn't perform, you didn't run out of ground ball, he would undress you verbally in the dugout in front of everybody else. And guys were intimidated by him. They played hard because they were scared of him. And he could back it up. If you wanted to carry it to another level, he would do that too. I didn't like him. He had a lot of – he was gruff. And, and I, yeah, I learned a long time ago, I don't have time. I, I, life's too short for me now to be worried about guys that are trying to right. call their favor. But he was sensational play. He was here one year. So years go by and we don't see each other and – I get a call from a buddy of mine, an attorney in Sacramento, who I met through Dusty Baker when Dusty was managing here, who became a very dear friend of mine, very successful lawyer. He called me one night two years ago and said, um, Greg Vaughn is going into the Reds Hall of Fame. I mean, to the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, and I know, because I've often said, of all the great, all the players I've ever been around, he's the greatest single leader I've ever been around. Really? Oh. Hands Even to the big red machine Absolutely. guys? Absolutely. The guy was something. He was just, really? oh, my God. Why this club has never hired him, and I've tried and tried and tried to get them to hire him because he can teach young players so much. Um, so he said, would you say that on tape, and I can play it at the banquet? He said, there are going to be 1,500 people. I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. So I did. A week later, this guy, Joe Babbage, calls me back, and he said, your comments brought Greg Vaughn to tears. Wow. He said he wants to call you. And I so he called me, and we talked for an hour. And he said, you know, I never knew that you felt the way you felt about me. He, I said, well, I, I can tell you why. And he said, why? I said, because I didn't like you very much. <laughs> and out of that has grown an incredible friendship. That's great. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I get such a kick out of seeing guys that played, you know, way back. Um, we go into St. Louis, and, and I'm going to bring up a name. I don't know whether he's even still alive today, Kenny Reese. Oh, but yeah, I'd Kenny's still alive. Yeah. And it would put a smile on my face because I love those players back in the 70s and the, the 80s and in the 90s. 
And when I see guys like that I haven't seen for a long time, it's just a big, big kick for me. Well, Kenny goes up to Mike Schmidt. I see Kenny at the ballpark all the time, and he always goes up to Mike Schmidt and says, how do my gold gloves look on your mantle? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. Pretty good. That's a great line. A couple more questions yeah. for you, Marty, and thanks for doing this. No um, problem, Dan. Favorite call? You know, you were you're part of some great calls with college basketball, certainly memorable moments there. You think about the Big Red Machine, the Hall of Fame uh, guys that you dealt with. Tom Browning's perfect game. Yeah. I mean, there's there's limitless amount of great calls. What's your favorite? And it may be not a famous call. Maybe it's something that's special to you. Uh, well, there, yeah. Um, in basketball, I did the Leitner. Exactly. That's uh, that, where I thought you were going to go. That was a good one. Uh, and, and, you know, when you have calls like that, and it's the same on television, whether it's on radio, if you know it's coming, um, I, I, I've never been one to plan what I'm going to say because I'm not good enough to make it sound uncontrived. I would say it, and it would say, had it written down on a piece of paper. That's how I do it, too. I can't do that. I've got Me neither. To, I've got to suck up the emotion of the yep. moment and convey it in the best way I can. Um I'll tell you one of them, it took place at Bush Stadium when Ken Griffey Jr. hit his 500th home run off Jack Morris. That's right. I mean, it was uh, not Jack Morris, of um, uh, what's his name? The right-handed pitcher that was so good. Matt Morris. Matt Morris. Yeah. Um, and, and Ken Sr. was there. Right. Um, and, and his son. And I, Yep. And I thought it was a heck of a good call. And then uh, I did a 600th home run. Um, the, the Here at, at our ballpark in Cincinnati, uh, when Jay Bruce hit a – Home run uh, in the bottom of the ninth inning. Won a division title, yes. right? Yeah. That was uh, that for me. And, and you know what? If you have a great call and you, all you pray is that you don't fumble over your words. Yep. And it comes out clean and because you know you're going to hear it ad nauseum for the rest of your life. Right. And so every time you hear it, if you screw it up, you just grit your teeth and just say, I had to, had to do a better job. But, they, you know, they were some of the, the Tom Seaver's only no-hitter. That was against the Cardinals. Yep. Um, you know, George Hendricks hit a ground ball. I'll never forget the Danny Dreesen at first base to to uh, wrap it up. Um, I, but I think anybody that's been around as long as I have, we all have one thing in common, and that is we all have a lot of memorable moments, uh, whether it's team or whether it's individual, and, and we all have to live with the way it comes out because we can't change it. I'm Ryan Kelly with thehomeloanexpert.com. If you're even considering buying a home this year, get pre-approved today at thehomeloanexpert.com. Don't be the only offer on the table without a pre-approval letter from thehomeloanexpert.com. The Home Loan Expert, LLC. Because of your friendship with Pete Rose, is it tough not to see him in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, it is. Um, and it's hard for me to understand. I, You know, if you go to Cooperstown, and I was there last fall, I took three of my college fraternity brothers up there with their wives, and That's we great. had the red carpet rolled out for us. It was wonderful. But you can't turn around in there without seeing some mention of Pete. Or exactly. Some, and my, my feeling is this. If they're going to use him to promote the great game of baseball, then why won't they let him in? Um, I, I understand that he broke the cardinal rule about gambling. You know, we're in the most forgiving country in the world. Uh, we forgave a president for having sex in the White House. Uh, I, I still, I'll go to my grave wondering how in the world he can't be in there, but he's not in there, and and unfortunately, I don't think that's ever going to change. When uh, you look at the game today, two questions left for you. You could be commissioner for a day. What would you change about the game of baseball? Oh, I change a lot. 
<laughs> I'd get rid of all the rules that they've implemented. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I'd get rid of that second base rule. I'd get rid of that home plate collision rule. I'm with you. I would get rid of everything because I don't think it's as good a game to watch today as it was back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, there has to be a better way of doing things than to – uh, implement rules, uh, and most of the rules that they've implemented have been knee-jerk reactions to a single play, uh, the Chase Utley play in the postseason, sure. uh, the Buster Posey play. Um, they were knee-jerk decisions. Uh, now, and I understand to some extent why, because we're talking about the uh, incredibly ridiculous amount of money that's being paid to players, and we have to keep those players healthy and on the field. I understand that. I just don't think it's as good a game as it used to be. What's left for Marty Brenneman to accomplish? You know what? From a career standpoint, I, I don't. I, there's nothing really uh, that I desire that I haven't done. Um, I had. I've got three World Series rings. If I don't get another one, I know a lot of guys in our business have never gotten one. Um, so I don't. I don't really think there's a whole lot. I. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm married to a young woman, who keeps me going. Uh, it'd be very easy for me to sit on my butt and not doing anything, but she will not allow me to do that. And, and there are places I want to go and things I want to do, and I want to be able to be healthy enough to do those. So um, I don't think I'm going to be around too much longer. Well, that's not good news for all of us that well, like to listen to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, the one thing that – and I, this is another thing. I, I've done a, 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 a very unscientific poll over a lot of years, and I ask guys in our business, and I ask guys in the business world, when you are that are retired, right? What do you miss the most about your job? In our business, I've not had one person say to me, not one. I miss the games. Everybody misses the people, and that would be. I, there's no question in my mind. I, I would miss the people more than anything. I, it, it, and I'm not knocking the game, but if if when I retire, there's a good chance I may never go to another Major League Baseball game again. It's got nothing to do with my lack of love for the game. I love the game. I, nobody loves the game like I do. But I just think there's a time when you turn the page. I know Vince Kelly went to maybe three or four or five games last year, uh, his first year completely out of the game. And um, I, But I would, I would dear, I'd definitely miss the people. I really would. I, I think – the guys that we have in our profession, for the most part, and, and there's always some, but I think the majority of guys that I deal with on a night-in, night-out basis, whether it be from the Cardinals or be from the Giants or whoever it might be, are good people. And, and, and at the end of the day, I don't give a damn whether they're a good broadcaster or not. Uh, they, they, they have to be, otherwise they wouldn't have a job. But if they're good people, then they're fine, fine by me. I mean, that's the most important thing in the world to me. You're the best, Marty. Thanks, Thank you, pal. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You bet. That's Marty Brenneman, the longtime voice of the Cincinnati Reds. A lot of fun to do. Remember, this has been brought to you by Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert. I can't say thanks enough to Ryan and his team. Please support Ryan and his numerous endeavors in the community and in business. Marty, to me, he's a throwback, true legend in the game. Hope you enjoyed our visit. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, please head to scoopswithdannymac.com. There's various ways to leave a comment or sign up for the newsletter to make sure that you get the latest visit on the podcast. Also, you can visit me on Facebook. A lot of fun for me to do. More to come. Thanks for taking the time to listen. I'll talk to you next time on Scoops with Danny Mac.